there are hundreds of billions of galaxies, each housing an innumerable number of stars, one of which contains a single planet that houses intelligent life. Several questions remain. Do they exist? When will we reach them? Endlessly, we look to the sky in hope. Welcome to Canter Encounter. everybody and welcome to tonight's episode of candor encounter <laughs> nice oh nice. what a good start right and it sure is night yeah it took us way too long to get this started mm. i'm a little unhappy with it but we made our bed we'll lay in it an hour left and struggling so we're talking Crop circles, we're talking <laughs> uh, Green Man from Was- Roswell. That's right. UFOs under the ocean floor. <clears throat> Probes. <laughs> the Black, uh, what is it called? The Black Knight? The ship that astronauts saw outside of the ISS? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't either. I'm lost. Too. I didn't know that I'm there was to- such a thing. But so this is apparently they saw a, a spaceship outside of the ISS? Yeah. Several astronauts. Did, I'm pretty sure the whole ISS was like, hey, there, there's something out here. And Houston was like, we don't see nothing. Huh. And they were like, well, we definitely have a visual, so. I'll have to look that up. So the question really this week is David's question. And it's about whether we're alone in the universe. You all know that. But. I don't know. How did you feel before you got started? Let's just go with that. I felt like there has to be something. I mean, I know we haven't found anything, right? The Fermi paradox, and we'll get into that. But it just, I mean, maybe I'm just too hopeful. I mean, I do hope, but I I, I do feel like there has to be something. Like, I'm right. like, there's something inside you that just, especially, those that just feel like the probability is too small that there's not, yeah, you know, like it's just, you feel like you're working against the math. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. It's the probability is too high. I mean, there's definitely earth-like planets out there. Yeah. Like 100%. Well, yeah. I mean, we know that there's planets that are, have similar. They're semi-habitable. Right. So here's my problem. So the like we talk about and we're going to talk about I'm sure the chances of them existing. And while I think it's innumerably high, the problem is is it innumerably innumerably high while since humans have existed. Right. Because so I saw this post the other day I don't remember if it was on Facebook or what, but it was like, if the span of the universe was a day humans were born at like 1159. Oh yeah. I saw like 1159 and so many seconds or something. So my problem with that is it doesn't quite show 
exactly how long because it's like, oh, you had 24 hours, right? So I did the math. And if the age of the universe was a century, the human race would only have been alive for about 19 hours. Oh, so that's not even, yeah. Holy cow. That's much more understandable, I guess, in concept. Right. You know. Because you're like, in, in your head, you're like thinking seconds and you're like, yeah, that's not a lot of time compared to yeah. 24 hours. I like the way you laid that out. Yeah. So say it again. So if the universe were 100 years old. Right. A century. If a old, century. The human race would only have existed just slightly over 19 hours. It was like 19.07. Right. Even younger still, if we consider the awakening, quote unquote, of consciousness and like our writing ability like the first signs of civilization kind of thing in which we would only be about four and a half hours year, or four and a half hours old. So you're saying really the probability is whether they are, they exist at the same time that we do. Right. Well, I think that the probability has a lot to do with, or at least the way some people look at it has a lot to do with if a, civilization were to theoretically exist and there is no part of the filter that keeps them from becoming intergalactic communicators that it, it, they don't necessarily have to be alive at the current time to exist because there was another comparison made like it was on the 24 hour format. So I haven't done any math to compare it to a century, but basically it was saying that if they were to create self-replicating machines that could travel the galaxies to do their communicating for them, does that make sense? So they sent forth this sort of... Instead of going themselves, they were just like... Right. Yeah, it's just these self-replicating right. messengers, right? And if they were able to reach the technology to do that, then it would just be seconds on the clock before they've before that self-replicating system would cover the universe and communicate with whoever they needed to. Does that make sense? So like it wouldn't go away and they would be visible. Right. It would be like the signal would stick around. At least that's the way. Of course, that's all in theory. So my view is that they currently do not exist, which I really hate to say. It's a lonely place that it way. is. Is that how you and felt before? I hate to say that because I really want to believe like they exist now. But the math is against it. Right. Like, sure, the feasibility of them existing is up. But them existing at the same time we're existing is down. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so much up in the air. I mean, you know, when you answer this question, well, I mean, there's no answer to this question, right, but right. when you contemplate this question, there are so many unknown variables that play with the mind. Yeah. And that's been, of course, the problem for most of our short span that we've been searching the skies is just how many variables are there because there's so many unknown factors here. What, you know, what, what are some of those factors that could, 
work against there being an active or even in the past, an active intelligent civilization. One of the, uh, things that really interrupts, uh, a lot of like how humans view space, um, is that galactic strip, the Milky way that goes across the sky. Yeah. It's our blind spot. It's our blind. It's about, I think it was like seven, eight, seven, eight percent of our night sky. Right. Right. And that's just like, what do you do about that other than not know? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting watching the sky surveys. Have you ever seen yeah. those plotted out and how they come out like like wings, like butterfly yeah. or not like butterfly wings, but more like funnels and how we can see oh, this yeah. much of the universe and we can see yep. this much of the universe. But then you have this big slice that we can't really we look no off yeah. into the universe because we're looking through the mass that's in front of us. Um, in the Milky Way, and it's too crowded. Which, yeah, I was going to say, which granted, like, we see a lot of planets and stars and all these things, but we don't see past them. Not really. Like, there's just too much. Right. It's, yeah. And there's too much, like, interstellar gas and particles. then we're talking about, like, light pollution and... More than eight, seven, eight percent of the universe. Right. That we have no clue... And that's how they calculate, like, the amount of stars. They sort of estimate based on the density yeah. in the visible part to what's available in the non-visible part. But it's so interesting when we talk about, like, solar and galactical blind spots. Because you're like, huh? Like, you, you know, with the sun... Right. <laughs> You have this blind spot, and with the Milky Way, you have this blind spot, and uh, it's just, it's so interesting, because I think that people think we can just see everywhere. Nope. Right. Um, But one thing I find really fascinating is how much information that astronomers can get so much out, like, they can get so much information out of just readings just a few pixels. Yeah, like you get you can't even really tell what's going on when you right. look at it, but they can measure to like very fine points. Yeah. The amount of um uh like how bright Yeah, the they're like it's been dims. blue shifted this much and like, yeah. yeah. And you're like, god, they just get it's crazy. <laughs> and then they can interpret that data and then create models that make sense, you know. What's even crazier is like you can tell the elements? Yeah. That a planet? What from its colors? Yeah, yeah. So if you know what you're looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. If you know, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And if you know the elements, you can start predicting atmospheres and like, and if you can tell how fast it's rotating around, it's just it's just really interesting that they get so many factors, so many details about planets that are so far away. But the likelihood of there being life on some of these planets, you know. For anybody who has done any small amount of uh, watching the Discovery Channel or or being on YouTube for 10 minutes, you probably learned about the Goldilocks zone. And that's Mm -hmm. the... The perfect area for a habitable planet to exist. Right. It's self-explanatory. I mean, I I guess that's not totally true. It's (laughs) self-explanatory if you know the children's tale. Oh, yeah. That's kind of an important part. (laughs) Of Goldilocks, but it's it's the sweet spot 
for... And it's different for every planet and every star. Right. It's like a combination between the two. It depends, yeah, yeah. It depends on how hot and big the star yeah. is. How depends thick how, the atmosphere yeah. is. Yeah, what kind of rotation yeah. you have out of the planet. There's a ton of factors that go into the Goldilocks zone. But, but you can even get planets in the Goldie, Goldilocks zone that are tidally locked. Um, yeah. Uh, that have small habitable zones on the planet. Mm. Like, theoretically, I think if Mercury were slightly farther away, quote-unquote, comparatively, it would be closer to its Goldilocks zone. Right. Yeah, if it's uh, not too warm and not too cold. Granted, it still doesn't have an atmosphere, so, like, habitable is still a question mark. And that's, of course, key, because to Mm. get life, we know we have to have oxygen. And to get oxygen, we know we have to have an atmosphere. And to get water... We know we're going to have to have an atmosphere. So well, they know that. I was just going to ask you. I don't think we really clarified where you were at before we started. Oh, research. yeah. I, <laughs> this is a difficult question for me. So it's funny because a lot of times I used to view this as a, a question that I had to filter through my entire everything my entire mindset my faith my everything right because what does this mean because i mean there's an inherent question not to get off on too much of a tangent but there's an inherent question that comes with are you alone in the universe like a an existential question and those kind of questions are filtered through my yeah right of lens yeah and for the longest time parts of the Christian world were convinced that we are the only, like we're made in God's image. We're the only one. Right. And he didn't say anything about life outside of earth, but the more that I've encountered and conflicted with my own thoughts and I've grown in my position on creation, at least my perspective is I consider it growth. I, I feel like I was looking at the Bible wrong. And I feel like I was looking for answers that weren't meant to be there. You know, that's not what it was about. That was not what the creation story was about. Mm-hmm. It was about, like, God communicating to people in a way they could understand about the things that he wanted to communicate. And looking at it as the book of everything and trying to make everything come into agreement was flawed from the beginning. Like if it wasn't in the book, it didn't exist kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, because people were like, well, I have to defend it because it has to hold up under every bit of scrutiny from every angle. Right, the inerrant word. But the more that I have grown, I feel like I was placing value in those areas and looking for answers in those areas where there wasn't supposed to be value or answers. Mm. It's like, you know, I brought up time dilation in a previous episode. Do you remember that? Yeah. And that's about the amount of time it takes for light to reach earth from a star and how that would predate my creation beliefs previously. Mm -hmm. And I tried to bring those all into agreement. You know, I was like, well, God can 
stop the light and he can start it in its path, you know, on the way to earth and blah, blah, blah. But really what that is, is that's me saying I can find a way to excuse what I'm saying. And I can disagree with other facts because of this possibility, right? Rather than looking at the text and saying, is this what the text was intended to tell me? Was it intended to tell me the story of the birth of man from nothing in a way that the people that were told that story originally knew the world? I follow now. Right. Right? Yeah. The perspective here. Yeah, the perspective of those who were hearing Genesis in the beginning, this was speaking to them. And it should speak to me, but I have a higher level of understanding than they did, right? Because of the cumulative knowledge right. of human. Mm-hmm. So I have a benefit over them that I can see back into the past at what they were looking at. And I can say this was meant for you. And it was meant for me, but it was meant for me not to contextualize in my day, but to contextualize in your day. So we look at the the Bible in a way where we don't take away from the meaning that God is trying to give us. And I don't I feel like I'm going way off topic, <laughs> but here's my point. I don't have to know that the Bible proves that the only intelligent person, the only intelligent being in the universe is me. That wasn't God's point anyway. Right. Right. Now he did say he created me in his image and I can hold on to that. Right. But it doesn't mean that something outside of this story can't happen. Just like the, reality of the scientific reality beyond this story can happen. And the original people that read this or were told this were able to conceptualize it in their day. If I were to go back in time and stand in one of the temples and I were to tell them, this is what your words mean. And this is when because because ta- light can be because light <laughs> can be sent on its path to Earth from trillions of miles away, like over millions and yeah. billions of years. Okay, they would just they would it wouldn't make you'd be a madman. It wouldn't that. make any sense, yeah. right? It wasn't meant to deal with those issues because this is issues of the heart, issues yeah. of the faith. And it wasn't about scientific theory. Right. All right. Anyway, totally off my soapbox. I believed um, that it was sort of a threat to my humanity. And I avoided thinking about it very much. I mean, like, it's not like I didn't think about it at all, but you can convince yourself that it's not real, that it's not possible because pop culture makes it so dismissible as silly and people that believe that are kind of kooky, but science has brought it more to the forefront, you know, as of the last few decades Mm -hmm. where they really said the probability is out there and we really need to start looking. And so 
I think over the, over time I took it more serious, but I didn't because I didn't figure anything would happen in my lifetime anyway. I didn't devote it much thought. So that's sort of how I was before uh, opening the old Google this time. <laughs> <laughs> so a few things we want to bring up. I'm sure all of us want to talk about. First off is the great filter, which we've touched on before. Yeah, let's go a little mm-hmm. deeper on that. Yeah. The great filter is a theoretical filter that stops a species from advancing into a intergalactic, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're sort of a classification of civilizations. I don't remember where that classification comes from. It's Do you know? Keshavs. Keshavs, the classification of civilizations. Yeah. Are there three? There are five, I believe. Five? And, uh, we these, are a class zero. Yeah. Uh, these classifications are basically determining the level of advancement of a civilization and their ability to communicate and traverse the universe and um, how far their reach is and where their technology is. There, and the specific way that it is classified is through power production, how much power you're producing. I'm sorry, we said Kashev, right? Oh, I did say Kashev. It's Kardashev. Kardashev, that's right. But it's based on the amount of power you produce as a species within all of the like territories you own. Yeah. Right. I say that word kind of loosely because we are a class zero because we do not yet control all the power that the planet can generate. Well, the neighboring star can generate, right? I, oh, you mean one. to no, get out yes. of type zero? To you, get to out of type zero to type oh, one, you have to be able to control all the power that your planet can produce. I see. Yeah, so this is basically, um, is the whole scale about harnessing power? Yes. Okay, so um, the whole scale revolves around how much power you can have control useful, over. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, have control over in and how far that reach goes. Wait, so is type one like Dyson sphere stuff? Like, yeah, I'm, harness all yeah. the energy. Yes. Harnessing in, in, all the energy. From your start. That's a heck of a leap. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Well, so to go, you re- you ready for this? But I'm. I mean, the guess what a type two is. Type two is controlling the star. Or sorry, a type three. Oh, okay. oh excuse me. Type two is Dyson. Spheres. Yes. Yeah. Type but not one. just transforming the star uh, into energy, but From controlling, controlling the star yes. itself, as in right. moving around your solar system. That's where your Dyson sphere would yep. would come into play, but but the type three is galactic traversal. But they really say that this is the point where you become immune to extinction. Yeah, you're so spread out that it's like right, and you have mastery over energy. But they say at this point, this could be a transformation from a fully organic life right. form into a possible like cybernetic thing. Or like, what's the word? Like, like virtual consciousness type, maybe. I mean, I guess it would still, I mean, to continue like energy harnessing, you have to stay in like a physical I suppose that's form. True. But I, I, suppose, I mean, yeah. I, guess, I guess at that point, some kind of existence could be outside of that. So here it is uh, real quick. Type one is the, you have control over the power that your planet generates. Type two is the power that your star generates. Type three 
is a civilization in possession of energy galaxy on its galaxy scale, so your entire galaxy's worth of energy. And type four is considered impossible, but it's universal. You have power over all the galaxies, or power over is a strong term, but you're able to harness the power across all galaxies, and everything within the universe. And that's level four? Yeah. <clears throat> and level five? I mean... <laughs> no, no, no. It's zero to four. That's five. Okay. I had, I had read that it went up to type five and that type five was like essentially beyond that. It's Multiverse just, kind of like Well, stuff. it's just that... Um, you know, you can manipulate the universe at that point. Oh, I see that. Uh, they've been proposed. Those types have been proposed. Okay. Which the original Kardashev scale stopped at three. Three, yes. Really thinking that that's, you know, the most controlling. And would, I mean, but essentially this just explains the amount of energy that a single civilization could uh, theoretically reach. Right. Um, but this feeds into part of the great filter, right? Like how yeah, you, to get there when is you, a very limiting process. Yeah. When you need more power, that's when this Kardashev scale comes into play because of this limitation of like resources. Yeah. Another, um, thing that kind of has to do with type two civilizations are um, kind of learning to transmit power losslessly through like relays, like satellites. Right. From one place to the next without losing any amount of power, without direct connection between the satellites. So, so we've talked about the scale of civilizations. Now the risks of them reaching those heights are the factors that we don't really know, you know, it's those variables that we were talking about earlier. <clears throat> and in, like you said earlier in other episodes, we've referenced the great filter. And this is again, theoretically, we don't really know whether we're on which side yeah. of the great filter yeah. we're on. So we don't know if we've made it, we could have already made it through the filter just by being life. Like just by yeah, just by existing single cell life, yeah, right. Or we could have made it through the filter when we gained um, consciousness. Yeah, when we gained consciousness, or we could have made it through the filter when we left our planet. Like yeah. there's no telling. We don't know the yeah. limit, right? Because you can have planets full of apes that maybe never advanced to civilization, right? And the one in a trillion or one in a billion planets with life that grows. We are the only one who get made it through that filter and uh, created space faring vehicles. Right. We like to think the filter is ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah. We like, well, why? I mean, we like to think that the filter is behind us for the sense that we're good. We did it, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's like you want to think the filters ahead in the sense that other civilizations right. can make it yeah, this still far. Working, yeah. Because if we aren't the rare ones, then that means there are more of us right. be before the filter. But then the risk becomes: Will you make it? Well, we, we still have yeah. we still have a gauntlet to face at some <laughs> point. 
you know, and we don't know where that is. It is colonizing the filter, right? Is it, are we going to be limited to just our solar system and we can go and follow Elon Musk and colonize Mars, but we're just going to be stuck here because we can't do intergalactic travel and we never get to that technology. But I mean, at the rate of development we've been at, doesn't it seem like that's on the horizon sort of like, I mean, in the next couple like centuries at least, right? I mean, you would think so. There's I mean, no course, telling though. That's that will always be theoretical yeah. to us because we'll true. be gone. So I don't know. But there are big leaps that have to be made. I mean, and there are constraints to our understanding of, of physics. Like we, at our current state, don't see any way to travel faster than the speed of light. And it takes sometimes trillions. Yeah. I'm not trillions. It takes sometimes just, uh, what are some of the farther stars out? Even, well, even some of the closer ones like, uh, Proxima, Alpha Centauri, Proxima Centauri. Yeah. Proxima Centauri. Like what it takes, even humans could never go there. Even if yeah. we could travel the speed of light. Yeah. Like the full speed of light. Talking 4.5 years, 4.6 years. Well, no, I mean, if we could travel the speed of light, we could go there, I guess. As far as our understanding of physics goes, we'll never approach that. Not from right now. You know, even, even with. Here, here's the thing that's the bodies that are, the bodies uh, that are spinning around some of the largest black holes Mm. that are generating some of the greatest gravity. They don't move particles. Um, more than like eight, ten percent the speed of yeah. light. Like really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they well, here, really. Here's the crazy thing, right? Even going half the speed of light gets you there eight years, right? Where? To Proxima Centauri, oh, okay. the closest star to us. Half the speed of light gets you there in eight years. By some calculations, you could maybe get there. Like, at so I did this some time back. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm sure I did it incorrect. It was just kind of like off-the-hand research before this. But it was like our fastest-moving space vehicle was Voyager um, when it slingshotted around Jupiter. Oh, okay. Right. And when this happened, that was like the fastest-moving thing we had in space. And if you had it moving that long, it would still take like 40,000 years to get there. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem, we are limited by the physical universe and its laws according to our current understanding. So until the level of quantum computing or technology or understanding research, like until we make some kind of breakthrough where something becomes theoretical and then becomes reality, we don't see that changing. And so we are currently at least it's like in working. theory staring at our great filter, which is intergalactic yeah. travel. So we talked a little bit about the great filter and what its limitations could be. And we also do need to touch on two other things, which is the Drake equation and the Fermi paradox it's connection mm-hmm. to the Fermi paradox. Correct. Yeah. That was actually the other thing I was going to bring up. Uh, well, which one would be better to start with? We start with the paradox and then kind of explain yeah. how the paradox exists. All right. 
So if you don't know, the Fermi paradox is the paradox that with how long humans have been able to listen to the stars, we should have heard something by now or seen like a blip, basically, right? Yeah. The paradox is we haven't. Right, right. It's with just- the likeliness of there being life um, somewhere else in the universe. Yeah, we know with the how quickly stars and planets form and how many there are and how many are likely to be able to harbor life and how many are likely to sustain life and then maybe how many could be intelligent life out of those. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, the math like- doesn't make sense why we haven't found something yeah it's like what what kills the paradox is like it's not just a handful of planets guys like it's oh yeah right it's hundreds upon hundreds that could contain and flourish with life but how many of them are are outside our galaxy and also when broadcasting to space how far do our broadcasts go they go well, I mean, they're radio waves. As long as they go unimpeded, yeah. like not, they don't run into anything. Oh, okay. No interference. They will just continue, just like light waves. And they'll well, diminish and shift. And, and I want to take that back a little bit because technically there have been reported like blips, right? Like the wow signal I'm sure right. you've heard of. It's one of those like, but we never saw it again. <laughs> Yeah, and we After can't that. answer questions related to them. Right, like we, right. We don't know how that plays into... I mean, those could be... It's like UFOs. It's. I'm not saying that it's a silly thing. I'm just saying it's just unidentified, and we have no answers for them. And so we can't use them to draw conclusions. No, yeah, 100%. You know? I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, you can use it to aid your search and things like that, but... Uh, if you haven't already, look up what the wow signal is. It's yeah. a really good read. You know, I I read on Britannica that as a civilization, we've been broadcasting into space since uh, 74. And if if we use uh, the Fermi Paradox's equation about how they've come up with these factors and they've estimated the numbers, all the variables that we talked about, about sustaining life and how many planetary systems and how, what fraction is intelligent life. And they used all of these variables and you can change those variables in the equation to sort of suit what you think the reality would be mm-hmm. in the universe. But in the, in their equations, they came up with, so we as a species have been broadcasting into space since 1974. So if you say that we broadcasted into space for a hundred years, Right. If you say that we broadcasted into space for a hundred years, according to the Fermi paradox equation, there would be 10 other or 10 total intelligent civilizations in our galaxy, just, just in the Milky way. And so when you take the hundred, 200 billion galaxies that exist, and then you extrapolate that number, it's like, Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have 200 billion galaxies and there's 10, supposedly 10 in our galaxy, you have 2 trillion intelligent civilizations in the universe. 
And you're and like, none of them have been broadcasting radio waves. Yeah. You're saying you're surrounded by 2 trillion intelligent civilizations and you don't catch one blip or, well, I guess we caught one blip, but like right. we don't a have a consistent, like yeah, something, a sustainable yeah. signal from anywhere artificial. And so you go, all right, something's not right. And something couldn't be right in you. That's the thing. Something couldn't be right in your factors in your equation or your equation could be wrong or like. But that's the paradox is. But mm, the paradox is. There's even if super their numbers, high likeliness. Right. Even if their number's off by a factor of 10, it's like it's yeah. still something is missing. And so that's the paradox. We should have heard from them by now and we haven't. And David, like you stated, you kind of believed that the timing was probably wrong. Yeah. And I think the way that this looks at the the way that this looks at other civilizations, it's like it doesn't really matter which one's timing is wrong because, like, okay, if over the span of the entire life of the universe, even if those numbers were off, you know what I mean? Like at some point point there's a oh, lot of yeah. others still alive of course according to the way they calculated it so we'll move on to the drake equation real quick to touch back and kind of tie back in with what i believed back then when i started my research i tied the timing really close to my heart that was one of those like it is it is the only factor that could change when or how we run into these signals that could happen. Because, like, even since the beginning of our universe, the theoretical end of our universe is still... We've only hit, like, the 10% mark, like, max on our time throughout the universe. Maybe. I don't even know if that's true. So, like, I don't... Like, how do you... Yeah. How do you quantify that? Well, I think As that's time. the trouble with everyone who contemplates this question is like, that's what we were talking about in the beginning. The variables that just send your mind spinning. Right. Yeah. You know, and at the foundation of the Fermi paradox, like we talked about with the uh, number of stars and the rate of formation and how quickly, how long we're able to communicate or send signals out into the into the universe at the heart of the Fermi paradox is what we previously mentioned is the Drake equation. And so the Fermi paradox uses the Drake equation. Am I correct there? Yes. Yeah. The Fermi paradox uses the Drake equation. That's that, the equation that you were using or you had mentioned. Yeah. That was like, this is why there are 10. Yeah. I feel like I should have brought up the Drake equation first, <laughs> but that's okay. So, I think the Drake equation is just sort of um, how they get to the number of civilizations that should exist. And and the Fermi paradox is, well, if so many exist, why don't we hear yeah, from them? Right. And, you know, there's not a lot of, of new information out there that we haven't known in the last, you know, 10 years. To, like, alter the way you would think about this question. Right. It's yeah. been people asking the same question over Yeah, it's just over. the same. It's on repeat. And so I don't think that there was anything 
that I heard that I wouldn't have heard 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, that's how I felt about it. But I do feel like I said earlier that personally I've had a shift as to where I would have been 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Just a side note, my daughter, my 18 month old daughter broke her tibia. Uh, and is quite ill all of the time. And so you might throughout this podcast hear her hollering in the other room. So there's not much we can do about it. She's typically not this loud, but uh, her mood has been quite altered (laughs) due to the cast on her leg. Uh, And sometimes she's happy go lucky and bounces around on it. But sometimes it's uh, frustrated with it. Yeah. She, she tells me all the time, she says, off. She points at it. Really? She says, actually, no, let me take that back. She points at it and she says, on, she means off. <laughs> like, she, she doesn't know a lot of the opposite words, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when she wants something opened or closed, she just says open. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or when she wants it off or on, she just says on. on. But yeah, she points at her cast. She touches it and she says, on, on. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't take it on. Them's against the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and so she gets frustrated that it can't come off. And I'd assume at 18 months old, you oh, yeah. don't have any kind of understanding. So, oh, yeah. Anyway. So, like, like I want to believe so badly. But everything just screams at me that they're they're the chance is so small. You're you're kind of converting me to that viewpoint. Do you feel like there's life out there? It's just not intelligent enough yet, or do you feel yeah. like there's nothing yet? No, I think like if we're considering think- like singular cell, absolutely one hundred percent, there's a singular cell out there. But I I mean intelligent, advanced. I mean, is conscious I mean, life that has the ability to send and receive radio signal? No, not right now. But like. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because we're still talking about small time frames in the in the wider perspective. Do I think the they will? Nah, but do you think? Well, do you think they will? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, so you don't think that like technological advancement or the technological age or industrial age is the great oh filter? no no I don't okay I think if the great filter were behind us and. In, and ahead of us was the sky is our limit, like waiting, right? Because we waiting are on others. the path to being yeah. the elite civilization. Then, then there will be fewer, and it would be more likely that the case you're making that we are isolated is real. Which I, but that would also, I guess, reinforce that humans would exist for a longer period of time and would actually run into. An alien species that can either send or receive right. radio signal. It would increase those chances. Mm-hmm. But you still think we're the first, though. And, I mean, I there's still credence to that, I think. Well, he didn't say first. No, I mean, no, no, no. He said at this current At this time. current like, There moment. could have been a civilization that reached our level and then petered out before we got here. In fact, I think it's very possible. Uh, there's several civilizations that are depicted, older civilizations yeah. that are depicted with things... That are much more yeah. advanced than they look, or seem much more advanced than they look. There are a lot of mysteries yeah. in yeah. ancient technology yeah, that yeah, we absolutely. 
That, and I'm not saying it is technology, like true technology that right. they're holding in their hands, but there's something to be said about what it looks like. There's some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah. Like 100% looks like Batu is typing on a laptop. <laughs> I don't know who's going to do the explaining. Though. <laughs> <laughs> God. That's the hardest part about moving forward and looking back is like, yeah. you don't always get the answers. But I, I don't know. The way that I look at the current situation and the way my current viewpoint ends up after this episode, I feel like I've got, well, first of all, I feel like there's a lot of life out there. I'm not specifically referring to intelligent life, but I think that the likelihood that life exists out there. I'm I'm with you on that one. Yeah, for yeah, sure. We're all on that page. Like for sure. I, I think the probability is just way too likely. Absolutely. And... I feel like it's quite possible that we are alone, but I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I just think that it's too difficult. Look, the universe is just too big and far apart. It's just unbelievably so far apart that we can't comprehend it as a species. Like it's, it's at distances that we can't, understand yeah it's yeah. like the universe is so big that the we have the part that's called the observable universe right and the reason we can't see beyond that is because there's a fog that just not like a literal fog but like the accumulated. the accumulative fog that exists between us and that distance eventually it's just like a wall that we can't yeah and not to mention past. once you get to a certain point the universe is expanding mm. And so the light is so far away from you that it will never reach us. Yeah. It's like, it just, it's, even though it's aiming at us, right? right. It's the, racing toward us, but it will never get here. And so because there the is a, infinite, in, infiniteness is getting bigger. Yeah. yeah. And so this bubble, this expanding bubble that we're in is, uh, you know, we're racing farther apart from each other. And us trying to travel this galaxy, us trying to reach other things in this galaxy, to me, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I, I think there's a limiting factor that we haven't recognized or, or calculated properly. And I think that it is, it is very likely that they're out there. And I think it's very likely that we'll never be able to never. know. I, I, I really think so. But of course... This all hinges upon whether we'll Where come upon some kind of uh, of breaks intergalactic from. travel that breaks physics, yeah. or 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 our uses under, a loophole, yeah, or understand or yeah. makes use of yeah. new understanding of physics. So I'm going to say that I think that we're not alone, but I also think that we're always going to be alone. I don't know that we'll ever be able to expand beyond this. I, I hate to say that because like I'm that I'm is so, signing the death warrant on humanity. Yes. And I understand that, but I just don't, I, I hope like it is my hope that I'm wrong, but I like, yeah, I can't tell you how much I hope just dream about the human species species interacting with a different intelligent species, not from earth. So, Sean, real, yeah. real quick, because we're running out of time. Break it down for me. How are you? Did you already? You didn't really tell us yet, have you? No. Where I'm are you kind of at now? 
of course, I'm I'm more as hopeful as both of you that that we'll hit a breakthrough and make some friends out there in the cosmos. And I don't know. I think we will. Like, we haven't... I know this is like the biggest leap we'll have to make as a species, but we haven't stopped progressing since conception. And I like to think that that's going to continue even at this barrier. Probably not anytime soon. Unfortunately. You think we'll speed through the Great Filter? If we haven't already? <laughs> well, or... We'll crawl through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we spent so much time... Uh, intro music. Yeah, we spent so much time messing around and uh, playing with intros and that we burned up so much of our recording time and we're going to learn from that. Um, but we really enjoy coming to talk to you guys. We hope we went, went through everything that we needed to and made this one a little more palatable. Hopefully made you more curious to look it up on your own terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of searching to do. I know that we probably didn't bring you any like seriously new information, this is just an exploration episode. It's just us sort of digging around in the way that we feel about the current state of affairs in in projecting whether alien life exists or not. Yeah, there's no answer here, sadly. Not this time. So we've reached the end of our road, and uh, we would like to bid you a farewell. And thank you for listening. And before we go... If you will... Go to our Facebook page. You can find us there, message us there, have any questions. Um, you can also message us on there. Send us your favorite music. We'd like to hear some. Yeah, please do. And if you have any topics you want us to talk about, go to candorencounter.com slash submit. Type it in there. Uh, if anything at all comes to mind, just send it. Uh, it. You won't seem stupid. We want to hear it. Please. Thank you. And if you're on Apple Podcasts today, if you'll leave us a review and leave us some stars and let us know how we're doing, it would be really helpful and um, promotes our exposure. And that's the way Apple does their ranking. So if you don't have any reviews, you don't get ranked. And uh, so we've got a few now, but we're just uh, needing some more. So we really appreciate your support on that. And if you're on our website, you can go to the top and there's a Podchaser link there. Do the same thing. It gives us feedback on how we're doing and lets us adapt to our listeners so once again thank you for listening today and we hope you come back for more and never forget how much we love you as a human being so until next time take it easy gives us feedback feed feed bath it gives us feedbacks <laughs> stop <laughs> stop yourself <laughs>